Well, thank you very much for the welcome that you've given to me and to Pauline, my wife, who is with me today as well. It's a great pleasure to be back with you. Remember being with you just earlier in the year. Today, we're going to take up this morning and this evening something which is from God's Word, but God's Word always has to be applied, as you will know, into our lives and is always practical. Some of you will remember an old song that used to be sung in times like these, and it completes on the line, You Need a Saviour. And I'm going to take up a couple of themes today because we're living in some very strange times, are we not? And I want to see what God's Word has to say about times like these where it's disappointing for us and how we handle those disappointments. But you'll need to come back this evening for us to tackle that together and to move from disappointments into a delight that God would want us to experience. This morning, we're dealing with the subject from Psalm 81 of difficulties and difficult times. <coughs> Back in 1949, it was the beginning of the jet age, and there was a real concern as to what would happen to the human body because of the G-force. What would happen if you went through the sound barrier? So they decided in America that they would check this out, and they formed a track in a desert place, and a little tray was put on that track. And the idea was to have somebody who will be hurtled along that track at huge speeds and then to stop it just as quickly as you could. The issue was finding somebody who was willing to do that. And Lieutenant Colonel John Paul Stapp volunteered from the American Air Force to be that man. By the way, he had missionary parents from Brazil. Now, you can see this on YouTube right now. In fact, I brought the little thing with me. I'm not using it. I'm just explaining it. But there were 16 sensors that were put on his body, and then he was hurtled down that track, and then it stopped as quickly as they could stop it, and blood started to pour out of his eyes, his ears, his nose. He looked in a terrible state. But do you know what was his first Request, what are the sensors reading? What are the sensors reading? And Captain Edward Murphy Jr. looked at them and replied, zero. The reason being, they had put the sensors on him back to front. <laughs> History does not record what the lieutenant colonel said about that. But we do know what the captain said about that. This is what he said. If two or more things of any kind can go wrong, one of those will result in catastrophe and somebody will do it. Now remember his name, Captain Murphy. And the penny will drop for a number of you. You'll know about Murphy's Law. That's what it goes back to. And again, if you go on the net, you will find there are all sorts of permutations on that theme. If there are two checkout points open at the supermarket, you can be sure that the one you join will take longer than the one you do not join. 
or other ways of putting it, you know about the 50-50-90 rule, that if you've got a 50% chance of getting something right, you've got a 90% chance of getting it completely wrong. So you end up finding in your circumstance that you're digging yourself into a hole and now you feel you've got to the bottom of the hole and then somebody gives you a shovel. That's life as we know it. In other words, life has its difficulties for us. We know that. And we anticipate in the future it's going to be difficult as well for us. We know that. Because that's the life that we are in. The rub is this. How do we handle it? How do we come through it in a way that it doesn't destroy us? But it helps us and our family and our community and our church in such a way that whatever are the difficulties that are piling in, it's not going to be wasted within our experience. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're not going to answer all the issues and all the questions, but we can get a grip on something that can be of use to us in difficulties by turning to Psalm 81. Because here, we're going to be able to learn three things. First, life is hard. Get used to it, the psalmist is saying. This is a hard world. It is in the terms of the psalm, a desert place. It is a wilderness. But second, there is help. And affirm that. We can discover in that wilderness the finest wheat and honey from the rock. And third, there is hope. So whatever life is throwing at us, this psalm finishes on this note that we can find satisfaction. Now, this psalm is about the Feast of Tabernacles. It's the only month when the ram's horn was blown twice. This year, it will start for a week on October the 13th. And if you happen to be around in Jerusalem, the Mirshirim area, where Orthodox Jews often are, then you will find that many of them will have tents on their balcony, apartment areas, and that's where they will sleep because they are thinking back to those early days of them as a people coming out of Egypt and bondage and slavery through that desert place where they didn't have any real solid resting place. And apart from anything else, That was going to teach them an awful lot. God told them to remember that situation because life is hard. It's not just what Israel went through for 40 years. In the New Testament, the first voice proclaiming God's kingdom came from a desert place. John the Baptist calling out, From a wilderness. When Jesus Christ began his ministry, he was baptized, set apart for that ministry by the Spirit as God's Son. And then immediately went into a desert place before he went into any teaching and miraculous ministry. 
The letter to the Hebrews tells us, you know, the danger you have as a church is that you could so easily drift and you end up being inhibited within your lives and you're not growing and developing in the better things that God wants to be about within your experience. In other words, that he illustrates in a couple of chapters, you're in wilderness times. And you're not coming through that desert in your spiritual experience so that you're coming to that place where you can enter satisfaction. You can enter, as he says, real and lasting rest. However restless and difficult the circumstances that are around you. We won't understand our lives without this picture. But why? A wilderness can't support human life. You just do not get sufficient food and water. And Israel survived by God's miraculous intervention, keeping them going, supplying their food, supplying their water. And our Bible tells us right now, we are in a wilderness. This is a fallen world. And it impacts every one of us. Whoever we are, whatever our circumstances. Now, we can go through a wilderness at some stage, and it's hard. Our health gets hit. Suddenly, the difficulty of the time-consuming thing that comes into our life when our health is hit. And the things that we've got planned that we now cannot do, or the things that our loved ones would like to do, which now can't. We're in a wilderness Or a career, suddenly the ladder is taken away from the wall. Or we discover we've got our ladder of success up against the wrong wall. But something is happening that impacts us at that level. Or a relationship suddenly crashes for us. We're in a desert place. Or a money problem. It's not a matter of knowing where the ends meet. It's knowing have we got any ends in the first place. And one of the things that can happen when we're in that situation is to ask, why? Why, God, is this happening to me? The most popular question I would get when I was radio broadcasting in more than 100 countries was just that question, why is this actually happening in my life or in the life of my family? Now, there's nothing wrong with the question. Often the psalmist In fact, you could say two-thirds of the Psalms are directing themselves to that issue. Where are you, God? Why are you letting this happen? Why are you not doing this? I thought you cared. I thought you loved. And you're in a hard place. It's a desert. It's a wilderness. Underneath our question is the assumption that it's God's job to make things cushy for us. And the Bible says, get real. Life is a bed of roses because there's lots of thorns there as well. So there's nice things, but there's nasty things in this fallen world. Do you remember how Jesus put this in the Sermon on the Mount? The rain rains on the just and the unjust person. Or as some wise wit has put this, the rain rains on the just and unjust person, but more upon the just because the unjust has got the just umbrella. Life is hard, and we need to think about that. If we don't, we're like a boxer who has stepped into the ring and then says, 
What's going on here? Someone's trying to hurt me. That's the nature of being in the ring. And that's the nature of being in a fallen world. There's lots of good things in this world to enjoy. And there's nothing secular but sin. We're meant to enjoy them. There's an abundance of good things. Enjoy them. But there are also those things you can't enjoy. And you have to endure. Our culture doesn't prepare us for suffering. Someone coined a prayer which sums up the attitude of a lot of people. Listen to this. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my fashion clothes to keep. I pray my stocks are on the rise and that my analyst is wise. That all the wine I sip is white and that my jacuzzi is watertight. That tennis games won't get too tough, that all my sushi is fresh enough. I pray my mobile phone still works and that my career won't lose its perks. I pray my health club doesn't close and that my money market grows. If I go broke before I wake, I pray my sports car they won't take. We live in a cry-baby culture. Life is hard, but there is help. And the psalm ends on that note. Be fed with the finest wheat, with honey from the rock. So we can find satisfaction in the middle of the desert, in the middle of the wilderness, in the middle of the difficulties. But notice a condition in verse 13. If my people... They knew their past history at Meribah. Twice, God miraculously rescued them from dying of thirst. Psalm 78.15 would suggest it was many times when God met their need. God splits rocks in the desert. That's plural. He gave them an abundant supply in that difficult situation. So yes, life is hard. But there is help because there is a rock in the wilderness. A wilderness is not just to be endured. It's a place to discover an abundant help from God. When did Moses meet God? The answer was when he was in a wilderness. By the way, he was 80 years old, so there's hope for some of us yet. But he'd blown his life. Into smithereens when he was 40. He knew about God back then. He tried to serve God's purposes for the nation. But did it in his own way, in his own time, and in his own mode. And here he is seeing a burning bush. And it's not burning up as if God was saying, you turned your life into a load of ashes, didn't you? When you tried to be passionate and fired up for me. But when it's my fire, whatever the situation, the bush doesn't burn up and I can keep you going right to your end in my purposes for you. And he encountered God in that new way. Right there, help in that hard situation. How did Jesus take a step forward in his ministry? It was through that desert experience, through those temptations, and quite honestly, if he hadn't been able to handle 
the hard place then and not to turn rocks into bread, he would not have been able to have stayed on the cross on our behalf later. In a way, I wish it wasn't true what I am saying to you right now. You understand that, don't you? I wish it wasn't true. But we have to live in reality. We must not live in denial here. God only becomes our shelter when we realize we need him as a shelter. When someone says to me, oh, you Christians, you've got Christianity as a crutch for your life. Of course we have. But everybody has crutches. Some people have those crutches in their possessions, their pleasures, their good health. They have crutches. We need them. We need God from whom we came and to whom we go as the crutch within our lives. But many people don't turn to him because they don't realize they need to turn to him. Saying life is hard doesn't mean it has to be gloomy. We don't have to face the day saying, oh, expect the worst, and then you'll never be disappointed. (coughs) Or like the person who said, I fell downstairs this morning. Thank God that's over. We don't have to live that way. A therapist was dealing with a man And he said, are you an optimist or are you a pessimist? And he said, what do you mean? And he used the old trick, you know, the glass of water. Is this half full or half empty? And he drank it and said, I'm a problem solver. (laughs) We don't have to go through life saying our life will never be satisfying. But God may be a theory more than a reality when life is easy. The feast had a ritual water pouring. The priest would go down to a well, fill it at a special time of the year. People would come back and they would see him pour that water out. And then talk from the prophecy of Isaiah about the wells of salvation. And it was at that time that Jesus spoke in a loud voice. If you're thirsty, I'm the water of life. What a dramatic moment. They had a light ritual. And he said, I am the light for this dark world. When something bad happens, run to the rock. Don't turn away from God. Turn to him. In this life, all other wells will run dry. All other lights will be extinguished. Now, I'm not saying that we only grow in trials. But I am saying... What God's word in James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, that there's a certain kind of joy that we can have, even in that trial, even though it's tricky and we wouldn't want it, because it can have, when it's rightly dealt with in our lives, a way of maturing us, of equipping us to making us much more the complete Christian. And even though Jesus knew what he was going to do at Lazarus' tomb, he wept. Why? When he knew in a matter of a few moments he was going to give the brother back to his two sisters. I think he was weeping because he realized there would be many families where he would not immediately be able to do that. That there would be that gap in time. And although we have hope, as the New Testament also says, we have that hope. But that doesn't stop us weeping now 
at the loss of a relationship in the here and now. The Garden of Eden was God's plan. Therefore, he hates anything that doesn't measure up to what he wants. But God says, if you trust me, that helps in trials. We don't just get strength to face that trial, to come through it and to look back on it and realize we're more mature because of that. We get the finest wheat and we can get honey. That's why an elderly lady, when she said this to me, I understood what she was saying, but think about it. I have been a Christian for such a long time now I don't know the difference between a blessing and a trial. And when you understand this, you also understand the strange prayer of blessing. Listen to this. May all your expectations be frustrated. May all your plans be thwarted. May all your desires be withered into nothingness, that you may experience the powerlessness and poverty of a child and sing and dance in the compassion of God, who is Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. If we're in a desert and see a rock, would we go to it? Yes. We need the shade by night. We need the warmth. Shade by day, warmth by night, because a desert place can get very cold at night. But, will we expect the finest wheat? Would we, in a desert, expect honey? And God is saying, out of the most unpromising situations, I bring good. Out of the hard times, I can bring sweetness, not just strength. But he will satisfy us. Doesn't that sound like Romans 8.28? Which can so easily for many Christians go in one ear and out the other. And we don't stop and think about how all things can be made to work for good to those that God loves. And love him. By the way, I would just issue for that verse a little caution. One guy was going for a job interview. He never made it because he broke his leg in a cycling accident. But he did marry the nurse who looked after him in the hospital. So that was good then. No, it wasn't good. It's not a good thing to break your leg. And something which can be bad, the wonder and the power of God is he can take that which is bad and make something good out of it. But it doesn't make it good that it happened in the first place. We mustn't minimize the tragedies of life simply because he's got the ability to make something work together for good out of that situation. Life is broken, but out of it, God can make something sweet. Almost nobody finds prayer easy, except in a wilderness. We pray and read because it's an amazing privilege we have of access to God to come near to him, for him to come near to us. We have some of us different ways of doing that. One of my ways is a, a little ditty that I remember most mornings act in prayer daily, ACT. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, in intercession, prayer, that's petitioning. 
daily dedication now follow through in my body and my mind on what I have prayed about in those early hours of the morning. But I'll tell you when you find yourself just overflowing and sometimes unable to stop praying when you hit a trial. Often the only way in which courage, gratitude, patience start to come within our lives is during those times of wilderness when we discover God so involved with us we end up with honey, a sweetness in the soundness. Hard experiences may cause us to say and do silly things. Like the man, his wife was expecting a baby and he rang through to the hospital and said to the nurse, the contractions are two minutes apart. What do I do? And she replied, is this her first child? He said, no, it's her husband speaking. <laughs> we can say silly things, can't we, at times like that? By the way, God is not accountable to us to explain himself to us. That was the problem with Job's <coughs> friends, was it not? Oh, well, it's pretty obvious why you are in trouble right now. You must be an awful, dirty, rotten sinner. Actually, he was far better than them and far better than anybody else and far better than any of us when you read his character in the book of Job. And he was going through that trial, which he never understood right to the end, for bigger reasons than he could ever understand, and certainly more than his friends would understand. And at least I'd say this for them. They did sit with him for seven days before they then started to say things that didn't help him. I know some people who can't sit quiet for seven minutes, let alone seven days, if someone's going through a trial. A pastor's young daughter had cancer and her leg was amputated as an outcome. And would you believe this? Those of you who know the church will find this easy to believe, unfortunately. One of the members came up to him and said, Well, pastor, we think it's a good thing that your daughter lost her leg because it's caused us to pray for revival." you imagine that? And he said, what are we going to do when we stop praying for revival? Pray that she'll lose her other leg? That said, we all know people who when they hit that trial end up being bitter, not better, through a trial. Why do some people come out worse rather than better? Why do they not find the finest wheat? And the honey in the rock. Because there are three conditions that need to be applied. You notice it in the ifs of this psalm. If you worship together, listen to God's voice, repent of idols. And by the way, an idol is anything that we put in God's place in our lives. That can be a possession, a person, it can be a car, which will eventually go to its last rusting place. It can be anything other than the true God that we're seeking first. And we must do this if we will be fed with the finest wheat, with honey from the rock. 
Notice how the psalm starts. Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout to the God of Jacob. Begin the music. Strike the tambourine. Play the melodious harp and lyre. You'll know this song from an old movie so well. If I begin just a sentence from it, I know all of you are going to be able to complete that sentence. Or you've been living on planet Mars for a few years. The hills are alive with the sound of music. The Bible is alive with the sound of song and music and praise and worship. The first reference takes you right back to Exodus 15. When they've come out of bondage, they've got through that Red Sea. They're moving now through the desert and they sing and dance. And why? Because they've been saved through the blood of an animal sprinkled and spread on the doorposts of their homes there in Egypt. And their firstborn sons survived. And they've got out. And the last song, Revelation 15, which looks back and says, Do you remember that song of Moses, the song of the Lamb? Well, here's another one. For a new earth and a new heaven because of your redemption and being brought through through the blood of Christ as the Lamb shedding his blood for us. That we might have a future and that we might have a hope. And Jesus sang with his disciples before he went to the cross as that Lamb. And we know what he sang because it was the Passover and they would always sing to finish it. Psalm 118. So as he's going towards the Garden of Gethsemane, he's singing, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And we talk about a good day when Jesus died. Why? Because it was a bad day for him to make it a good, eternal day for us. Why is it good to sing? Why is it good to worship? Three things. It blesses God. That's always a good thing in God's world. It lifts us up, gives us a completely different perspective on our lives, and that's always a good thing. And it will bless other people around about us too, and that's a good thing. We won't need preaching in heaven, my job will be done with. Because the perfect will have come. We won't need a Bible in heaven. But there will be song, worship, and praise There is nothing that will get a bigger perspective on our lives than engaging in music and making sure that our songs are not just verbal doodling. Don't neglect the discipline of corporate worship. Begin the music. So worship, but also listen. Again and again, God said to the people in the wilderness, Hear, O my people, if you would but listen to me. But my people would not listen to me. I love how that's put at the end of that 10th verse. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. What used to happen in their culture back over many centuries actually, a king wanting to honor a guest at a feast, would take a morsel of food and would wrap it round a jewel and then give it. Opening your mouth, you would receive it in your mouth. You'd eat the morsel, you'd hang on to the jewel. There's a preciousness about what's being given as long as you're open 
to receive it. And God wants that of us, wants that in our word. Go to God's word and read and reflect upon it. Chew it over. Make it part of ourselves. It can strengthen us and sustain us. Times like this allow us to get into God's word. But we need more than occasions like this to be sustained. If my people would but listen to me, if Israel would follow my way, experiencing a hard time hurts. Wilderness times call for self-examination. Have I got some idol in my life? I'm unhappy. Is it because I'm making something too big, bigger than having God in my life? Don't think all trials come from making gods out of idols, but don't think none come that way. Now, these are three incredibly important steps to take. If we worship, if we listen, if we watch out for anything that has a preeminence and priority above our God, then we'll find honey in the rock. There will be growing sweetness in the sourness. There will be wisdom. There will be a sense of security if life is hard. It's a wilderness. There's help right there. Handling it the right way, we can find the finest wheat, we can find the honey. So that means there is hope. Some people listening to a talk like this will say, well, I get it, but I fail. I don't worship as I should. I don't listen to God's word as I should. I don't put God first as I should. So there's no hope for me. Yes, there is. Because there is a rock in the wilderness and there is honey in the rock. And Jesus is the rock. When Jesus Christ began his ministry, remember he went into the wilderness for 40 days. He had to handle that tough situation and he came through it well. He was there because God the Father put him there. In fact, Three of the Gospels talk about how he went in to that desert place. And there's a different word in the original language of Greek, which doesn't always come through in our English translations. So trust me, it's there. In one, he is being pushed into the wilderness. In another, he is being led into the wilderness. In another, the Spirit of God is coming under him and lifting him up into the wilderness. Now, when you... Bear in mind that he was always full of the Holy Spirit and that the Spirit was now upon him for service since his baptism. So the Spirit is behind him, in front of him, above him, in him and under him. That's all round protection, isn't it? No wonder he could handle that tough situation. He did everything Psalm 81 asks in 40 days that they couldn't do in 40 years. And someone says, thanks, but that doesn't make me feel any better. I mean, he's Jesus and can do it, but I'm not, so what hope is there for me? Our hope is in Jesus Christ, who is more than an example. He is a substitute. 
Exodus 17 outlines their historical experience. They all knew about what happened in Meribah. Moses was frightened when they screamed out of him. We'd be better off back in Egypt. We're going to die of thirst in a place like this. And God said, take up your staff. Now that was used for justice. So he will be frightened. What is God going to do next with these people? He must have been shocked when God gave water from the rock to meet the needs of these rebellious people. And Paul understood all about this when he wrote to a church in Corinth. They drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. When Jesus Christ went into the wilderness, he passed the test. When we go into the wilderness, we fail the test. But what happened when Jesus Christ died? He was made sin for us. Our faith identifies with the one who took that penalty which he didn't deserve, so that we do not need to take that penalty that we do deserve of eternal separation from him. The rod we deserve comes down on him. We can experience through trusting in him by not allowing anything to be an idol above him, the saving death of Christ. On our behalf. That we might be forgiven and reconciled to God. But more than that. That's only half the gospel. The other half is the saving life of Christ. That he died. Rose again. Ascended by the power of the Holy Spirit. Comes to live in our lives. We can be filled with his presence. So we're hungry. And we're thirsty. And Jesus says. You need the Holy Spirit. Filling you. And that's the promise. That's what I make available through all that I have done. That's the gospel. In hard times, he will lead me through them. Never letting me go. Never forsaking me. The rod we deserve, it's been coming down on him. And he gets me there faster or slower, depending upon whether I will trust and obey. So as the words of a contemporary spiritual song put it, which were written reflecting upon 9-11 in the city of New York and wanting to lament. Listen to this. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful Where your streams of abundance flow, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, still I will say, blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If we are his people, there will be hard and difficult desert wilderness experiences. But there is help in that wilderness. The finest wheat 
honey in the rock. So, there is hope. God will change us for the better. What a future. What a hope. Will you join me in prayer? Gracious Father, we want to thank you right now that when we're broken, you will mend us. When we're hungry, you will feed us. When we face trials, you are with us. In facing problems, you comfort us. In facing loss, you provide for us. Even in facing death, you carry us home. Thank you that you are everything for everybody, everywhere, every time, and in every way. Thank you that you are our God and Father. You are faithful, and we are yours, and you are ours. So thank you that we can count on your control over our lives in these coming days as we trust and obey through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's join together in our concluding hymn and then a prayer of benediction to follow that. <clears throat>